This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm delighted to say after nearly two weeks since he completed an epic mission in rowing across the Pacific. He becomes one of only a handful of people to have ever done this on the planet. We had him in the studio before he set off. He talked to us all about how he and his three schoolmates, Barney Lewis and Oliver and Harry Amos, were going to use this experience to bond with one another, to get through it. Well, they've had the everything that you could possibly conceivably imagine having to deal with They've had to deal with it all. Scorching heat, massive storms, and yet nearly two weeks ago, they did complete in 39 days the crossing from the west coast of the US, Monterey in California, to Hanalei Bay in Cowie on Friday, July the 21st. Delighted to welcome, still sporting a heck of an impressive beard, back into the conversation. I think we need to start by giving this man a collective round of applause in the studio. It is Paris Norris. Paris, great to have you with us. Um, How are you feeling? Are you still dining out on it? Are you still just absolutely luxuriating in the fact that you'll probably never have to do that again? (laughs) Yeah, I am very relieved that this is over uh, and that I can now relax, uh, have a nice warm shower every day and uh, eat fresh food and some very basic... uh, Uh, pleasures that keep me very happy these days. And Paris, I mean, 39 days on a boat with your three friends, you must have gone in with a certain expectation about what would have been the most difficult aspect of this row. What was actually the most difficult aspect versus what you thought it might be? I think I thought the rowing would be the difficult part of rowing across an ocean. Um, And I was wrong. It's actually not the 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 difficult part that was actually the bit that i looked forward to uh the difficult part was waking up uh every day uh because we would only sleep for about an hour and a half maximum at a time and everything in your body is telling you you need more sleep you know you're burning nine thousand calories a day um you haven't had a full eight hours sleep for you know, anything up to 39 days for us. So that was accumulating on us. Uh, and your, your body just says, don't wake up. You know, you, you need more. And it just became increasingly difficult to drag yourself up and, and, and get out there and, and do it again. But as soon as, as soon as you're out there and uh, start rowing within two minutes, you're, you, sh- you shake it up again and you're fine. But just that, uh, that initial bit of waking up for me was just, uh, it was really very difficult. And when you got your rest breaks, Paris, were you asleep before your head hit the pillow? Because you have a very cramped sleeping space in that craft as well. Was it, was it difficult to get used to that? And did you, were you so exhausted that you would just go to sleep straight away? Uh, yes, I would go to sleep very quickly. I had no problem sleeping and some of my team initially had problems sleeping but when you start getting that tired you you, you don't have a problem uh the actual difficulty was not getting used to the cabin it's been difficult getting used to a bed having slept in the cabin for 39 days which is um very very hard ground 
Um, and we found we've had all sorts of back problems getting into a normal bed since then uh, because your your spine curves a lot more. Um, but yeah, you know, it's strange. It was a very small space. Uh, initially, it felt like sleeping in a coffin. Um, and we're on this tiny boat, which is only seven and a half meters long. But as you spend more and more time on there, everything starts to feel a lot bigger because that's the only space that you're used to. So uh, you start realizing there's little little bits of space over here that we haven't used and you know it starts to feel a lot bigger and what for you were the most meaningful or the most beautiful moment of being you know in the middle of the pacific ocean just you and your boat and your friends oh we had lots of really nice times i mean definitely the most amazing part of the whole thing was getting to the end that that i think was just so emotional there was 200 people waiting for us, or friends and family who come to see us. We hadn't seen land or people in 39 days. And then all of a sudden, everything's there all at once. Big celebrations, music, uh, lots of people cheering us on. That was by far and large the most amazing part of the whole experience. But actually, during the rest of the week, there were lots of great things that we could see. You know, there was beautiful sunrises and sunsets and very different skies uh, that we're used to. Lots of lots of uh, beautiful clouds and, and um, you know, you just look up at the sky a lot. Uh, but I think some of the most beautiful moments were, were probably those that we sort of shared among each other, maybe on a more emotional level. Um you know, there were points where um, one of us at some point would have a bit of trouble and um, would be finding it difficult to deal with it. And I think the mo- the nicest thing uh, that really came from it is how we supported each other as a team. Um, I remember one moment in particular uh, for me. Um, I woke up in the morning uh, in a good mood and ready to, to row and I walked out uh, on deck and strapped in and uh, s- started rowing. And uh, the guys had a had a song on, um, and I started telling a story about that song. And it hit an emotional moment for me, and I absolutely paused and froze, not being able to speak. And my friends realised that I, you know. That I, they said, Paris, are you okay? Are you okay? And and they and then I it, out of nowhere, I had this emotional uh, spell where a tear came out, and and I realised how much I I I was missing everything. And and what was you know very sweet for them and very sweet for me, as we've now talked about, for them it was very sweet that uh, sort of full grown man who has quite a lot of bravado was reduced to a very honest tear. And for me, it was very sweet that my friends came and gave me a hug and said, you're right, mate, you know, yeah, you're good. You know, and, and th- things like that, which really brought us together, were quite special, I think. On the rougher parts of the crossing, Paris, because I read that you did encounter, it's fair to say, some pretty gnarly weather along the way. Um, how scary was that, honestly? And, and how, how much did you fear for your safety? And, and also, how did you kind of get through those moments, which must have been you know, overwhelming due to the sheer power of the Pacific? There were definitely moments uh, where if we hadn't have acted very smartly in the next minute, um, we would no longer exist. And that did put us on edge. Um, Initially, 
the first 10 days that we were in the sea were by far the uh, the worst. We were told that when we left, they said the next 24 hours are going to be the worst 24 hours that you've ever faced in your life. So be prepared. And they were the worst 24 hours that we'd ever faced in our life. Uh, but nobody told us that those 24 hours were actually going to be about 10 days long. Um, we were in freezing cold water um, that if we fell in or the boat capsized, uh, we would have caught hypothermia within uh, half an hour and we would have died of hypothermia within maybe four or five hours. So any small mistake made um, would have been detrimental. And these huge waves were being sent at us, 40-foot waves that were coming from the side. And every now and then those waves became extremely steep and actually broke. And if they broke at the time that they hit the boat, they could capsize us. And there were some that almost capsized us. And I remember one in particular knocked me right off my seat into the point I was kind of swimming in the boat because the water had come over. Um, and that, you know, that woke us up. And uh, at that point, we thought the whole journey was going to be like that because that's how it started. Um, and then there was another particularly scary point. Uh, I actually managed to capture it on video where we got uh, a signal on um, uh, on what we call our AIS, which uh, tells us whether we're on the same path as another boat. And it went off, uh, which doesn't happen very often when you're in the Pacific because there's not many boats out there. Uh, I think we saw seven boats the whole journey and for three weeks we hadn't seen a single boat so it went off and uh, the guys the guys haven't got good eyesight so they asked if i could take a look and uh, there was a cargo ship on the horizon i said oh it's okay guys it's about 20 miles away they said okay keep an eye on it um and it gets a bit closer it gets a bit closer and a bit closer again to the point they're like paris get the cameras out uh let's film this this is going to come very close and we could see that it was maybe going to miss us by maybe say 300 meters but we can't do much because we're we're we don't have engines um but we radio to it to say this is brothers and oars we're a rowing boat we're in front of you you know we're we don't have an engine uh, please turn to your port side which is your left side and it obviously heard that but made the wrong decision and turned to the starboard side, the right side. So where it was just about to miss us, it's now pointing directly for us. And we had to act very quickly because it would have smashed us. It wasn't that far away at all. And in those waters, if it had hit us, not only would it spew us into the freezing cold water, it was about eight degree water at that time, but our life raft and life jackets probably would be completely out of reach and, uh, that that would have been very deadly. So that scared the hell out of me. Um, we we radioed to it again. We said, "This is an emergency. We're now right in your path. Please change direction." And it changed direction, oh. and we watched this ginormous cargo ship uh, just just go past us about 150 meters away from us because that was the it had turned early enough for the, for us to just look at it from side on. And these things are are bigger than the Titanic, you know, and <laughs> it was quite amazing to look at. But, um, you know, I just never thought that our problems in the big, wide Pacific would be a collision. <laughs> no. It almost was. 
That is absolutely terrifying. And, you know, something that I think a lot of people would think of when they think of the Pacific or when they think of a big ocean is, is what lurks beneath. And it's something that we've been talking about on this show as well. Did you come across any interesting wildlife encounters along your way? There were a few, but I have to report to everybody that there is nothing in the Pacific Ocean. Um, it was a surprise to us and other comrades who had attempted this at the same time that we did, that there wasn't a lot in the Pacific Ocean. And when we went in the water to do what we found to be, well, we, we were very sort of scared of this uh, anticipation that we had to go under and clean the boat um, every five days. Uh, and I said, right, someone's got to be looking for sharks somebody's got to be uh, an eye out. And there wasn't just no sharks. There was no fish at all. But we did have some very beautiful encounters leaving Monterey. Uh, Monterey is a, a place for whale watching. We were seen off by two uh, humpback whales who gave us a nice wave with their fin, which was nice. beautiful. Uh, then we, about two days later, saw three blue whales, which was amazing. So we'd seen five whales within the first couple of days. And at that point, none of us had ever seen a whale before. So that was really quite cool. Um, and then the only thing that ever really came by in the middle, the whole middle period of it was um, a very strange occurrence where we had three squid jump out of the water and land on deck. And the very first one hit me in the face. Uh, and, <laughs> And 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 I was trying to tell people what happened, and we we videoed the squid on the deck. But I had to tell people like I'm rowing, and uh, and then slap. And squid are very sort of alien-like uh, looking animals, and there it is pulsating with its big eyes. And and I'm like, I'm I was honestly I was screaming like a girl. I was like, what was that? You know, like and, and, uh, get it off me. And, yeah, uh, and nobody believed it had jumped out of the water until they saw it again with their own eyes uh, when it happened to other occasions. So, so jumping squid is a new thing. That is amazing, Paris. Wow. Uh, was not expecting that, your answer, <laughs> by the way, but amazing to see the whales. And uh, I hope you brushed off the squid and, uh, and continued on with your journey. couple more from us. And, and first of all, I want to say thank you so much for getting up at the crack of dawn. Not even the crack of dawn. It's the middle of the night over there in Hawaii where you're speaking to us from. But you've become one of, I think, only 82 people on the planet to have ever done this in history. That is a heck of an exclusive club. So I, I want to know what the first thing you guys did were when you stepped onto dry land and how has the kind of aftermath of it and your sort of relationship with with obviously your your best mates from school which was a strong one before you even got in the water how has it kind of evolved subsequently and and uh you know you talked about strengthening those bonds if you want to just talk a little bit about that so we when we landed in Kauai, which is uh, a, a beautiful island of Hawaii, it's uh, what they call the Garden Island. Uh, we had this amazing celebration where they, uh, the, you know, they gave us the real Hawaiian welcoming. It's, I guess, a real custom to, to welcome people, whoever they are in Hawaii. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely thing they do with a, with a flower reef that they put over your head. And we had a sort of traditional uh, Polynesian uh, ceremony. And then we ate some food and said hello to a thousand people and had to go and have a shower, which was absolutely bliss because that was really what I was missing a lot. 
So it was interesting because the relationship among me and my friends was evidently very good when we landed. And we were told by people who saw us come in that we looked so much more united uh, than other people who'd done the crossing because these things usually tear people apart a lot and there's a, pro a lot of problems that happen. Um, so I think we were most proud about that uh, almost as much as uh, rowing the ocean was was the fact that we we became stronger friends than we already were and we were very strong friends to begin with and it became a very strong brotherhood. Um, you know, we know that we can rely on each other for anything and we also know we know that we can we can handle each other for in in the worst of situations. So uh, we've all seen each other at our worst and our best, and it it really taught me a lot about teamwork. Uh, one thing that was evident was there was there was a bit of bravado among all of us, maybe even a little bit of ego, if you like, uh, before the race. Um, we would tease each other and compete with each other, but as soon as we got out there and the seriousness of the situation became very real we switched immediately to a very supportive team um, where it was like, whatever you need, I'll get it. Um, and I'm here to support you type of vibe. Um, I felt that very quickly when um, I got seasick on after about 24 hours of being on the water, uh, which <clears throat> really was difficult to continue to row 14 hours a day whilst being nauseous um, and low on energy and water because I'm not able to take it in like I used to be able to uh, whilst burning 9,000 calories a day. So it was, it, was a, it was a nasty situation to be in, but immediately my friends were, were supportive and you know it was a pat on the back. It's like, you're all right, mate, you're all right. And I just felt looked after. And immediately when I realized that my life and everything is depending on these three other people, um, it was a realization to me that I've got to be supporting them and so we all showed immense support for each other. Uh, the amount of arguments we had uh, in the whole 39 days, I, I think we could probably say it was zero. If you want to talk about real arguments, uh, we had maybe a handful of slight bickers. And I don't think many people can, can be on such a small space uh, for so long under such intense pressures and, um, and have such a, a problem-free time um also i should probably mention the amount that we were laughing and joking among each other all the way was 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 pretty much 95 percent of the time so so I'm, I'm i'm very happy to say that i'm very proud of my friends and they're going to be my friends for life and uh you know and uh, we will always have this to remember and you know you have mentioned it yourself this is such an intense journey to put yourself through you've really gone through the fire you've removed yourself from modern life for a period of 39 days you've gone through a physical challenge you've gone through a mental challenge when you go through something like that are there any kind of key realizations that you had that you'll take with you going forward or any ways that you feel changed Absolutely. Uh, you start to realize what's what's valuable to you when you are reduced to the very, very basics. You don't even have a shower. You don't have uh, fresh food. You can't sleep on a bed um, and you don't have anyone except three other people to speak to. You start to realize what is important um, and then question whether the time 
the way that you allocate your time in your normal days is anyway respective of what's important um, and start to realize, well, I spend a lot of time with people that maybe, you know, maybe it's better to say I'm not spending time enough with the people that really matter. And I'm maybe spending a lot of time doing things that uh, maybe I'll look back on and realize is not important. And you start to re realize, you know, the people that you love, the people that are there for you um, are worth far more than, than anything else on the planet. And um, when you're reduced to such basic things, the, the things that are around you all the time that you take for granted are really so much more important than uh, the things that we probably spend more time thinking about, like, you know, uh, what's happening this week at the next best event or, you know, where to go for dinner and, you know, you know, what's what's happening in the news. You know, these were things that didn't cross my mind one single time for the whole 39 days. And since landing, uh, I, I, I still haven't checked the news and I still haven't thought about those things. But I speak more and more with my mum and with my friends and I'm starting to be a lot more expressive about how much they mean to me. Paris, that was beautifully spoken. And uh, that's a great message. And you're quite right not to check the news because nothing good comes out of that. Um, listen, we've run out of time. Could chat to you for another hour easily. I'd love to have you in studio when you're back in Dubai. But listen, enjoy the rest of your time in Hawaii. And uh, what an amazing achievement you guys have accomplished. We're, we're very, very... Well, we're in awe of what you've done, actually. And I say that with the pun intended. Uh, Paris, um, thank you so much for joining us. And um, when are you back in Dubai, incidentally? First of all, thank you uh, always for supporting. And um, I am taking some chill time. I'll be back on the 28th of August. So I'm just here in Waikiki and really enjoying being a Waikiki boy uh, for the next month. Good on you. Well, listen, when you do get back, give us a shout and we'd love to have you back in studio for part two of this conversation because uh, it's been a great one. Thank you so much for getting up early, Paris. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Thank OK? You. Take care. Paris Norris, what an amazing achievement. And he, he articulated it so beautifully. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 